This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 9th, episode 2157. Good morning, Horse World. Good Tuesday morning to you. And I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle ain't as rough as a life in between. And the fence isn't there for you to straddle. Coming up on this endurance episode, it's a time and distance theme. First up, Kathleen Leonard is going to join us from the UK, and she's going to share adventures from riding 1,000 miles from Scotland to Cornwall. And then newly inducted AERC Hall of Famer Dr. Jim Baldwin is going to share some stories from his endurance adventures over the past several decades. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Appreciate it. You had something in the notes here. We're going to go right to our first guest today, but you had something in the notes here that just reminded me how time is flying by. Five years ago, you came on the show with your with your really terrific horse, Bo, and talked about Bo having colic surgery, and we weren't sure if Bo was ever going to ride again. And and we talked about all that on the show, right? Right as it we- happened. And it was five years ago. I know already it's been five years and he came back wonderfully, uh, super strong. I think he's done just as well as he was doing before the colic surgery. He's completed another couple thousand more endurance miles, including three more Tavis completions and uh, became a 10,000 mile horse actually last year. And he's a decade horse and he's 21 and he's been doing fabulous. So So that just goes to um, show even after surgery, they can come back. They really can. It's, uh, uh, I'm really lucky and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. We talked about this with whether I was going to retire him or keep writing him. And he sort of let me know in no uncertain terms that if I didn't give him his job back, <laughs> he was going to demolish my barn. <laughs> and so and he's good at we that. Got, we got back. Yes, he's too good at that. He knows he and he doesn't like just chew on the wood. He pulls the um, the trim pieces off, the rain gutters off. Um, he's pulled. Uh, he's actually chewed a hole like he put in his own window through the wall of the barn. <laughs> That's a dog thing to do, not a horse. <laughs> so he needs his job. He's not ready to retire yet. And he saw Chief going out, and he wasn't going to be left behind. I mean, that pissed him off. So, oh, no, yeah. no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Chief can do it. I can do it. These endurance horses, they get so opinionated. <laughs> wonder why. They love their jobs. It just shows you they love their jobs. 
Well, speaking about loving jobs, we're going to go to our first guest right away today, and her name is Kathleen Leonard, and she's a long rider from the UK that just recently rode a thousand miles on her horse from Scotland to Cornwall. How did you find her? It Something popped up on my Facebook feed, and I sent her a message, um, and she responded back, um, and it, it comes, it pops up in my thing and it says a strange request. And I'm thinking, normally I wouldn't click on something that says a strange, <laughs> strange request. Because <laughs> who, who's asking me to do what, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so I responded back to her and we started talking and I invited her on the show. And we were able to work out the timing with the time difference between us here in the States and her being in England. And that's the and name of her blog, her. by the way. And her website is a strange request. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, sh- we c- caught up with her yesterday because we-, we can't really do England live here. So let's find out what she had to say about her great adventure. And this is Kathleen Leonard. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be talking to you about your recent trip. How did you get started wanting to be a long rider? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, actually, it was um, it was a childhood dream. So Basically, the minute I started riding horses, I must have been about eight years old when my godmother took a pony for the first time. Um, and from that minute forward, I was absolutely horse mad, totally captivated. Um, and all I wanted to do was just go out and explore the countryside on horseback. Um, and I used to just fantasize and daydream and think about riding over those mountains and through those fields. And just, yeah, I just wanted to explore. And I thought, oh, well, nobody does that. Who travels on horseback nowadays? I mean, is it even possible? Um, and then one day when I was about 14, I was on the internet and I managed um, to stumble across a website called the Long Riders Guild, um, which was basically, it was set up by a very small group of people who had ridden thousands of miles around the globe. And it was set up to sort of provide um, information and share knowledge um, and share experience about long distance riding um, all around the world, not just in England, not just in America, but everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've spent years just gathering books and reading blogs and looking through websites and gathering as much information as I could about people that had done this, how they did it, what equipment they used, what their experiences were. And it fueled my daydreams um, enormously. So yeah, it was it was yeah, it was a childhood dream. Um, <laughs> it took me quite a long time to get to the point now that actually dared mm-hmm. to do it, but yeah. That's great. Yeah, definitely okay, inspired no- by the Long Riders Guild. And now tell us about your horse. Um, Taliesin. So Taliesin is a draft horse. He I think he is an Ardennes, possibly crossed with something else. I've had him since he was eight months old. Um I was on the internet looking to rescue some cats, actually, when I stumbled across the website. That's how it happens. <laughs> I know, I know. It was just one of those stupid things. Um, I already had a horse, actually. I had a little Hasslinger that I'd planned to do long-distance riding with. Um, but yeah, I was just I was looking for cats and found a website for horses that were destined for slaughter in France. Um, and I'm a vegan, and I was very passionate when I was 18. Um, about not eating animals so the idea Mm -hmm. that people would actually eat horses was just it was horrendous um and i saw two folds on this website that really really caught my attention um so 
I went against everybody's advice and just bought them. My parents really weren't happy. Like nobody was happy. <laughs> and, and how old <laughs> and never were you? Been handled. How, how old were you when that happened? Um, I was eighteen. So okay. Yeah. Okay. I was allowed to do what I wanted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I made that point to my poor mother. Um, yeah. So I imported them, and they'd never been handled, and I didn't know what I was doing with you know, unhandled horses. I've never trained a horse in my life. Um, but yeah, I've still got them. They're 11 now, so we're doing quite well, I think. <laughs> it, amazingly, a girl with a severely independent <laughs> spirit ends up riding across two countries. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how that happened. So the, this yeah, horse yeah. of yours looks to be about how big? Uh, do you know, I don't actually know. I think... I think he's about 15-2, but somebody did put a stick on him and said he was 16 hands. He looks 16 I think, hands. I don't believe. And a okay. tank. I mean, I, he I, looks like a tank. I mean, he's built. He is. He is. But I still think of him as a tiny little knock-kneed sack of bones that came off a lorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> slightly warped impression of him. So you rode, did you ride from top to bottom? Is that how you did it? Or bottom to top? Um. I did top to bottom. Most people would do John O'Groats, which is the northernmost point on British mainland, to Land's End, which is the southernmost point. Um, but I live <clears throat> I live about 100 miles from Land's End at the bottom in Cornwall, and I'd already ridden down there, so I wasn't going to do that again. And when I spoke to people about Scotland, they said, actually, John O'Groats is a really bleak, horrible place. Just don't go there. So I went to the northwest rather than the northeast. Um, and started up there. Well, I was just going to so say, there's really a lot of nothing up there, too. I know, but it's beautiful nothing. <laughs> Mountains and, yeah, it was lovely. It was stunning. How did you, that? because you ended up, you actually started in probably the most barren part of your trip. Did you, yeah. how much resupply did you carry then? And were you able to resupply a lot? Was there enough towns? Describe the northern Scotland where you were to people. Uh, well, actually, you know, as wilderness goes, it's really not actually that wild. I mean, we didn't have a day where we didn't see people and talk to people. Um, I, I could see on the map where the nearest towns were. So I carried probably about a week's worth of like couscous and pasta, just dried stodge to see me through. Um, but I was restocking every three, four days. Um, I mean, you can get away from people up there if you really want to, but Likewise, you can pick a village, and you, you'll get you'll get to a town or a village within a day's ride, two days' ride tops. And you, how far were you going a day? How how many miles a day were you going? I think we averaged about twenty miles. Um, the longest day we did was twenty eight miles, and the shortest was about eleven. Um, yeah, so it was about twenty miles, and I walked most of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't actually sit on the horse that much. And what was the weather like? Without me. Um, actually, people think Scotland, well, Scotland is really miserable. It's really wet and <laughs> horrible. Um, and 2017 was probably one of the wettest summers on record in Britain. However, I actually found that I was in the driest part of the country the whole way down. So wherever I was, we were having reasonable weather. It, w it worked out so perfectly. I mean, most people had torrential rain, but where I was, was fine. Um, so I only got soaked five times in nine weeks. It was very lucky. 
so did your horse have shoes or did you go with boots? How, how'd you decide what you were going to do there? I, I did have him shod, um, because boots, he just trashes them so quickly. Mm. Um, it was just, a, it was such a nightmare to try and repair them and carry spares and get spares shipped out to places. I didn't know where I was going to be. Um, so I figured I'd have more chance finding farriers. And actually with the internet on phones, you know, it was very quick to Google a farrier, um, sort of local to me. Getting a hold of them was another thing because most of the time they don't answer their phones. Right. But yeah. Again, I got That's really the same lucky. here, by the way. <laughs> it's the same in America. They yeah, don't I, think, I think it's just a farrier thing. <laughs> they are really strange breed. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> now, now, did you have a smartphone or some sort of a, a way to get online during the trip? Yeah. No, I had my, my iPhone, very old, and well, it's the same one I'm using now, so it's a bit battered. And I had another phone, a very basic one, on a different network, just, you know, in case one Mm. phone didn't get signal, maybe the other Mm -hmm. would. And that had a really good battery life as well, because obviously batteries on smartphones (laughs) last about two days, and then then you find yourself in a pickle. You mentioned having a bad start. What happened there? Um, On the... (laughs) On the first evening, um, we did about 20 miles. We were in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, right, it's time to camp. And I found this really lovely spot down by a river with nice long grass for the horse and nice trees to shelter under if it should rain. Um, And within about half an hour, midges had arrived. um, And Scottish midges are legendary for being absolutely horrendous. Um, I hadn't really believed it until they turned up and they were everywhere. You could mm. hear them buzzing and mm. forming and they sort of plastered us. Um, and Taliesin actually had sweet it. So he's allergic to midges at the best of times. Oh, no. So we got attacked. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was it was awful. And then I thought I was going to lose him in the middle of the night because I only had a bit of flimsy electric fencing to keep him in a little paddock. But he he stayed in all night. In the morning, I managed to just about get all my equipment on him um, and I stupidly hadn't done my girth up tight enough mm. <laughs> so about 100 yards down the road everything just slipped underneath him um, oh. managed to get everything off him before he exploded and then I had to let him go because I couldn't hold on to him and he just disappeared back up the mountain where we come the night before <laughs> he wasn't galloping like he doesn't gallop he's you know he's quite <laughs> oh, steady, no. but he was marching <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right, then oh, I gosh. had to chase him through a load of streams and bogs and, yeah, eventually I caught him and just turned him loose into a massive fenced area of forestry and just let him go while I went and sorted out the gear and brought it up a little bit higher where there was a bit more wind and not so many midges. Oh, but, yeah, gosh. horrible, horrible start. But I did think to myself, like, what am I doing up here? Uh, whose stupid idea was this? <laughs> but that was why I started in Scotland because I thought if I started near home, I'd very quickly chicken out and turn round. <laughs> yeah, you had no choice at that possible. point. You just had to keep going. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was it was carefully thought out. Yeah. Did you end up buying tons of fly spray and stuff then? Um, no, because none of it works. Yeah. Absolutely none of it works on the horses. Um. On the second day, I met some American tourists, actually, who did give me some, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was beach-based. Yeah, off or something. Yeah, But it was a tiny, tiny little thing, and it worked for me. And I could put a little bit on Taliesin 
just enough to get him tacked up, but it was really horrible stuff and it stripped your skin. So I didn't really want to use it too much on him because he's quite sensitive. But we did, like after that, we found better places to camp and I never camped in sheltered areas near water <laughs> and long grass. I bet. <laughs> a very steep learning curve. <laughs> So you did, so that's how you, one of the questions we always get in the endurance show, right, Karen, is uh, how do you tie your horses at night to the trailer or do you uh-huh. bring a pad pen? So that's what you did. You brought a little electric fence? Yeah, I used old tent poles to make very light fiberglass collapsing fence stakes um, and a tiny little energizer that took uh, two batteries, I think, to run it um, and lots of electric fence tape. Because I did try hobbling him before we left to see what happened, but he very quickly learned he could canter and tethering <laughs> doesn't work because he just pulls until something breaks. Usually well, his head collar. With the size of his <laughs> chest, he could have walked through that electric fence and never felt it. I mean, it's just... <laughs> well, I, yeah, that was my worry on that first night. I thought, oh, God, it, you know, I'm not going to stop him. Um, but it, I, did, I did try to find fields after that, just, just in case. Yeah. Did you stay with people? Did you did you have any plan that way? Or was it just, I'm going to be where I am? I didn't really plan that many stops, especially not in Scotland. Um, in Scotland, you do have a lot more rights, more access rights. So you've got the right to roam. You can go pretty much anywhere. And you can wild camp in the mountains, which in England can't do. So I sort of was winging it. Um, but then I was looking for fields. So I would knock on doors and just ask people permission to camp. Did they maybe have an enclosed area I could put a horse in just so I didn't panic about him escaping in the night? Um, and we found really lovely people. I mean, total strangers that would either, they'd just be like, yeah, that's a field, go, um, you know, work away, put your horse mm-hmm. in there, do what you want to do. Other people say, well, look, do you want a shower? Do you need anything washing? Can we feed you? We've got a spare bed. Do you want to sleep in the house? Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was really amazing. You get, you really do get the best side of people. Um, and then in England, I did organise stops, but only three or four days ahead of time, um, and mostly using Google actually. Hmm. Yeah, and, and you also <laughs> had a do- quite useful. You also had a dog with you, didn't you? Yeah, I had Spirit, who's my wolf hybrid. She's a Czechoslovakian wolf dog crossed with a Northern Inuit. Um, okay. She's crazy. The only reason I took her was A, to keep my mother happy because she was a good guard dog and she looks quite ferocious. And B, because I couldn't leave her at home. Like She does not like staying with other people. She's totally neurotic. She's an escape artist. <laughs> um, she'll kill anything that moves. She doesn't get on well with other dogs. So it was a bit of a nightmare, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you prepare, you set yourself up for failure from square one in this trip, and you didn't. It's I amazing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it took a few years of massive failures to get there, so I kind of knew what the score was going to be. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I love the picture of the dog uh, uh, leading the horse, the the one shot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh. Did, was there any yeah, point... Like a train. <laughs> was there any Sorry. point where you were scared of anything? Um, only once. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, where were we? We were still in Scotland, and I pulled into a holiday park just to ask, you know, did they know of anywhere I could camp? And you know, I was looking for a field. Blah blah blah. And a lovely member of staff helped me out. Said, "Look, there's an old abandoned graveyard. I did spend a lot of time sleeping in graveyards. So there's an old burial ground." Um, you can put the horse in there. It's relatively well fenced off. 
um, and you're welcome to camp there. It's a bit isolated. So I was like, oh, well, that's fine. I don't really mind. But there was somebody who worked on the site as well who um, who was just a bit odd, like a little bit wired, <laughs> a little bit hyper, a bit bouncy, Uh-oh. just a bit too intense. Um, and he's like, oh, Rick, you know, I want to do something like this one day. I used to be in the army. We used to do this with horses, carrying explosives through the jungle. Oh, I'm going to come up and see you tonight. Oh. And the other guy told him where I was camping. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know this person. I don't know what his intentions are. I don't know what kind of person he is. So I was really, really nervous. Um, but I went and I set up camp anyway because I thought I can't really push on. There are no fields around here. It's all forestry. So this is my only hope. I've done over 20 miles today. I'm knackered. Surely, surely I'm just being paranoid. So I went and set up camp. And then he did turn up. And Spirit was there and she started growling at him. And she'd been absolutely fine with him earlier in the day when he'd been fussing and patting her and she'd been fine. Um, so I just let her growl at him. Didn't tell her <laughs> off, didn't encourage yeah. her, but, you know, and then he sort of sat a little distance from me. We had a nice chat and he brought me a load of food and he was actually really lovely. The next morning I went into town to get a coffee and they all knew who I was because he put loads of photos on Facebook and had been really lovely. Um, so <laughs> it worked out really well. That was the only time that I thought, hmm. So it wasn't bad. (laughs) No, it was fine, luckily. And do you have any advice for anyone that would like to do a long-distance equestrian adventure like yours? Um, Well, my motto is do it while you can. Um, I work now as a carer, a healthcare assistant, so I spend a lot of time with elderly people and disabled people and people who are dying and you see what can happen to people very quickly with no warning nobody expects to suddenly be taken ill and not be able to move or not be able to do anything for themselves and not have freedom mobility or independence um and having worked in that industry for a while it you know it really hammered home the fact that your time is really limited you Mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen so if you want to do something, don't put it off and think, oh, I'll do that in five years. Or, I just need to do this first. I need to do that. Or I need a bit more money. Or I need, you know, I need to plan more. My horse needs to be more prepared. You're never going to find the right time. Um, so really, I think just go for it. If you want to do it, go for yes. it. There are lots of places you can get advice. So the Long Riders Guild is an excellent starting point. They have published a book called The Horse Travel Handbook, which gives you loads of practical advice. Um, brilliant for anyone considering doing something like it. Well, I have a couple more. Yeah. Qu- I have a couple more questions, if you don't mind, because there's questions that we always get yeah, for long it. distance riders that mm-hmm. ride across America or whatever. And that is, did you carry water, or did you just re- and and did you carry any food for the horse? Uh, no, and no. So it was very wet in England. You're never far from a stream, a puddle, or a house where mm-hmm. you can just knock on the door and ask for water. Um, and feed again no because I didn't have a pack horse and I was carrying so much stuff that it wouldn't have worked out mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been beneficial to carry the feed to feed him Like it, he would have had to use too much energy to carry that um, for the first part of the trip grass was enough but then as we headed into autumn obviously it wasn't enough all the goodness was going but then we were getting into more civilised areas we crossed over into England we were staying with people pre-arranged stops. Um, so I just tried to make sure we stayed with equestrians who did have feed. 
Okay. And just said ahead of time, look, mm-hmm. is it okay if we buy a bit of feed off you? Yeah. So it worked out quite well. And I am looking at your Facebook page, and I see you have another talent other than riding. Before I ask you about that other talent, you rode Western on this trip. Did Are you an English rider, or you've always been a Western rider, or just decided Western for the trip? Um, actually, it's an Australian stock saddle. Is it? Okay. It's hard to yeah. tell in the one picture. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, no, that was just a saddle I happened to have for the horse. It was quite comfortable. Lots of rings for attaching saddle Stuff. bags and... Oh, that what is an Australian is set? Yeah, putting the dog lead over. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, 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 no, it wasn't calculated. It was it comfortable? <laughs> uh, very heavy. Yeah, very heavy. But that yeah. would have been fun putting it on a sixteen. Yeah, I was thinking that. Getting, it looks heavy. Right? <laughs> you are telling me. <laughs> you had a workout, didn't you? Did you yeah, lose any weight absolutely. on this trip? Yes, I did. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, I've never done. The best part. <laughs> now, you, before yeah, we let you no, go, well, I've walked, walked hundreds of miles. So, yeah. you have Sorry. another sideline, right? Um, yes, I am a football player, or I certainly used to be. I've been playing a folk rock band for several years. So, you're, um, uh, you're that broke up fun. a little. Uh, so, you're a fiddle player. You broke up a little bit there. Oh, yes, yes, fiddle player. I used to play in a Celtic. That's funny because um, my wife and I are making a trip uh, in August to something that's been on my bucket list for 100 years, and that is the Royal Tattoo in Edinburgh. So we're so excited to be going to that. And and the Celtic women are some of my favorite people, so I love them. Um, And we've had a couple of them on the show here over the years, too. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, so is your music out there anywhere? Um. Band's music was, yes. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, and I think it's on Spotify as well. We were called Love Street, like the Doors song. Oh, um, cool. And I, cool. the album was called Both Sides of the Door, and we had a couple of singles. But I gave it up, actually, because it clashed too much with traveling on horseback, because obviously <laughs> the touring seasons are the same. Yeah, so. true. But I did. We went around Ireland in the summer, and I did take my fiddle with me on the back of one of my horses. Um Summer just gone, but that is another story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you miss playing in front of a crowd? Um, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I keep meaning to get back into it. Um, I'm going to be doing an album about um, the Ireland ride um, with Irish tunes, and I am playing at some festivals this summer. So it's not totally gone. Oh, cool. Mm. It's just a bit of a sideline to rest in travel. Cool. Have you got any any plans coming up for any more long distance horse rides? Well, this year I'm having a year off um, epic adventures because uh, I'm trying to write the books about well, book about the Scottish ride and book about the Irish ride. Um, actually, when you rang me, I was just working through the draft of the, um, the Scotland ride book because that's nearly ready to come out. Um, and like I said, I want to do this album about the the Ireland ride. Um, with fiddle tunes but I think next year the plan is either this autumn depending when the itchy feet hit um, either the autumn or next spring we're going to go over to Europe um, and ride I haven't quite decided on a route um, but I do want to ride over to Carpathian Mountains and then maybe ride along the Carpathians because it's Europe's last wilderness and has wolves mm-hmm. and bears and lynx and oh, exciting. amazing animals that we don't get in the UK. So 
yeah, that's on the on the to do list. So, where can people go to keep up with your travels and to read all about Scotland to Cornwall? Well, the best place would be my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash a strange request, or just type a strange request into the search bar and we should come up. Loads of videos and photos of all my rides. Um, I also do have a blog website, which is www.astrangerequest.co.uk. And that has stories from my first little rides to Land's End and around the southwest of England. I haven't put up the whole Scottish or Irish rides, but once the books are out, there will be links where you can buy the books from there. And I'll be, I will be publicising all of that on my Facebook page as well when those are ready to come out. I found it. It is a strange request. Came right up, and you'll see uh, her and her horse right there in the profile mm-hmm. picture. Thank you for joining us, and uh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. And <laughs> good you. luck well, with your future you endeavors. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, no, feel free to catch up with us anytime once we hit the road again, if you want to hear more. Well, that was uh, Kathleen Leonard, a long rider from the UK, and she's so cheeky and fun that <laughs> I think her book is going to be great. I think so, too. I can't wait to hear her music also. I mean, were you on the edge of your seat when she was talking about the night in the cemetery with the strange guy coming up? It was like, uh-huh. <laughs> the only thing that made me feel better is she has a wolf dog. I mean, I thought that, you know, a one-word it's, attack it's would probably... Neurotic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, why do all horse women who do long rides have neurotic dogs? It seems like it's. Uh, well, it I'm speaking dog, to you too, there, Karen. I know. It <laughs> appeared that the dog followed her along the whole way, so yeah. that was good. Yeah, and, and there's there's several pictures of the dog leading the horse or holding the horse. That's great. So, so the the dog would just have the uh, have the rope and just be holding the horse when she went into town and stuff. It was funny. It was good. Well, good for her. Sounds like quite an adventure. So, and she's planning many more. She calls herself, you know, a long-distance rider. Uh, you know, as an occupation, that's what she calls herself. So, <laughs> so that's neat. That's really neat. And I know you've done a few. Uh, you've d- you did the po- long, uh, Pony Express, of right? Long ones. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we just yep. talked about that the other day. Yep. The anniversary was so. Uh, and it's hard to believe the Pony Express was only around for like eighteen months. And didn't I know exist for very long, uh-huh. and it's so legendary. It is. All right, let's go to Kristen from Distance Depot is joining us this morning, as she does every month. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you? Good. You went good. Have you ever done any long-distance rides, like a 1,000 miles across England and Scotland? <laughs> no, 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 but okay. what, yeah, what an adventure. That was fun to listen to. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> She's terrific. Yeah. And she's so young. That's that's the fun part to see the younger people out doing that sort of thing. Did we ever get her age? Eighteen. She's eighteen. Oh my goodness! Well, when she first uh, got started in this, when she first went and got the horse, um, so she's probably a little older than that now. But she started out pretty young, <laughs> wanting to do these long distance adventures. I think a lot of us did. We're just yeah. time has flown by. We're not yeah, as time and money are limitations for some reason on everything we do. I know that's yeah. why her advice was great. Like, yep. go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Hopefully. So, and why we're out yeah, doing yeah. those things? 
we're going to talk to Kristen about um, how to groom with some of the latest and greatest grooming tools that are available. Yeah, absolutely. We have a whole page dedicated to grooming, of course, with all of the regular curries and brushes and hoof picks um, that we've all known for years and years. But there are some really great new products on the market. Um, the hands-on grooming glove. I love those, by the way, for my dog and my pony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they work great on your dog. Um, but you get a pair of gloves. So a little different than the old mitt, which honestly, that old mitt is one of my favorites. My horse loves it, you know, that you just put in with your thumb. Um, but this, the hands-on grooming glove have little teeth on each finger and on the thumbs and then across the palm as well. And you get two hands to work with. So um, double the trouble there. I met, I <laughs> met the guy at re- Ada who designed that, and he gave me the complete lecture on the exact angles and scientific studies they went yeah. through to get those little dimples on the glove in the right place <laughs> so that the hair would fall out when... Yeah. it doesn't, the, like, stick in, no. in your hand. And I used one of the old... I couldn't find it the other day, and I used one of the old ones on a dog, and it drove me insane because the hair wouldn't come out of the glove. And I'm so used to just right. falling out. But yeah. apparently there's lots of science yeah. behind those little dimples. <laughs> I know, that's amazing. But they do work great. There, We also have an equigroomer, which is a little block. Um, there's lots of different ones on the market, but this is great. It has a little blade in it. Um, we have a five inch one and a nine inch one, so you can use them on your dog and your horse. Um, but they take out the dander and they shed, they do tummies and legs, um, and they work great. I was using mine the other day and the hair was just flying and the horses love it. Um, it feels really good. I think, um, Equa Groomer also makes a water whisk. So kind of like a squeegee. So a little different than our traditional, um, sweat scrapers, which of course we have lots of those and hoof picks, sheath cleaner, cowboy magic. Um, but one of the newest things that we have that your boot users may be interested to look up, it's called a hoof pick brush all in one. So it's this big, you know, we've seen those little hoof picks that are kind of wimpy with the little brush. We do have those, and those are great for little, you know, sandy cleanings. But if you're using boots, this thing is awesome. It has an ergonomical handle, a big, sturdy hoof pick that isn't going to bend, and a great big brush. So you can brush your hooves, get them all nice and clean, put your boots on, um, even brush off your boots and your Velcro. Um, these things are the bomb, and they're like 10 bucks. So um, check those out. <laughs> that's a good idea. And you've also got a water whisk. Yes, that's, that's I that. love um, mine. I have one and I love it. Yeah, it's it works just like a squeegee and it's it's good. It does legs where sometimes the sweat scrapers are a little awkward on legs. The water whisk works really nice on legs. Um and really or what I meant yeah, the wash wand is what I'm talking oh. about. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The wash wand. Those so, are yeah, those are great. And I've got a shorter one. The long ones are really great. Um, this shorter one works really good on your horse and your dog. So, And we ship those because they're a lot easier to ship. They're not quite as long as that <laughs> great big <laughs> one, uh, which when I go at my Arab with it, um, sort of freaks out. He, he tends to like the shorter one. And we've got those easy all-starting bathing kits so it gives you the nozzle the sprayer the oh water, nice and you spray that stuff on if you've not used that that's some great stuff too 
So all kinds of good things. I see that. You've also got tail bags on here, cowboy magic, uh, rubber bands. Um, and what, what's the magic wash sponge? Um, it's, it's a really nice sponge. It has all these crazy little um, tassely fuzzies on it, and it works really great. for. And actually, it's really nice for... You can use it for bathing, but of course, it's really nice after to, you know, if you're just wanting to get off dust and hair, because um, it has these little, and it has kind of like an elastic handle on the back side of it, and you can put your hand through, so there makes it nice. You're not dropping your sponge, and um, but it holds lots of water, too. Oh, good. And I see you have equine scratchers for the those horses that want to groom themselves. Yes. <laughs> And and they love them this time of year. You know, they're all itchy and sweaty. It's Our guys are hairy and it's starting to warm up. Um, uh-huh. so we have a three-angle um, scratcher that you can put on a post. Um, so it just fits around the post perfectly. And, you know, you're supposed to put these where your horse is scratching anyway. Anyway, um, right. <laughs> they, exactly. And they use them. I mean, our guys are always scratching on the edge of their stall. So we have a, a big scratching pad and we just put that, we have one stall that the two of them hang out in. Um, and they just, you know, they'll scratch their bums and their necks, <laughs> but they really like them. And they're nice because they don't rip out all their mane and, and mm-hmm. the horse's and if somebody's interested in ordering any of these items, tell us what your website is and your phone number. Okay, we are www.thedistancedepot.com and our phone number is 866-863-2349. Terrific. Thank you for joining us again, Kristen. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Thanks, Kristen. Bye-bye. All right, Sushan, she's been with us for as long as we were talking about how many for, years you've been on. She's uh, been since the start. <laughs> so, almost, yes, yeah. yes, for several years. Yeah. So um, now you had a, a, a tip as well, and this involved Irish spring soap. And I'm dying <laughs> to hear what this is about. Because I use because Irish spring soap. <laughs> well, now you've got another purpose for it. I mentioned earlier about how my horse likes to demolish the barn. And so somebody recommended to me, well, try the Irish spring soap, rub it on the wood on the um, corners of the barn where he's trying to pull stuff apart. And I did. I mean, this horse actually chews the paint off of the flat wall on the outside of the backside of the barn. And so I went out there and I just rubbed a bar bar of of soap and rubbed it everywhere. And rubbed it all over, and it's actually worked. It's been over a week now, and he hasn't touched anything really? else. He hasn't gnawed off any more paint. He hasn't pulled off any more. There's not much trim left, but what's left, he, he has been leaving alone. He hasn't, you know, chomped on anything <laughs> where I put the soap. And the nice thing is, is when I do go to repaint or repair the damage that he had previously done, the soap is just going to wash off. And it'll actually and your help barn will be clean. The surface clean. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's dual purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So that's a, a tip that I have that uh, for those that want to try it, if they're if they've got their own barn beavers. <laughs> well, that's interesting. And then you also ran in. 
you have a Black Widow story. I got to hear this too before we go to our next. I guest. have a Black Widow story. Oh my gosh! So we decided to repaint and refloor the half bath in our garage, and it's kind of a gr- it's like small five by five, and we mostly stored cans of paint and other stuff in it. It wasn't really getting used as a bathroom, so we pulled everything out, got. It, Got everything done in there, the new floor, the new, you know, two coats of paint, and it looked really good. And I go in there, and I'm looking around, and right at eye level (laughs) in front of me is this huge Black Widow spider. Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. You know, ah, Dave, there's a spider. It's huge. It's a Black Widow. So he comes in with a paper towel. Oh, it's just a spider. So he comes in and he goes to get it. Well, guess what? The darn thing ducked underneath the door trim and uh, got of away. Of course it did. And so he he thinks he got part of it. He's not sure. But now the thing is disappeared. He tried to get the Black Widow with a paper towel? Yes, exactly. Mm. I think. See, what I we keep spray around for that, and uh, I don't get anywhere near them. Uh, it's like but, ten, 10 but foot spray. But it was on top of the freshly painted wall. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you can repaint. I, I wouldn't have either. I yes, have been done. you can repaint. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's the first part of the story. <laughs> so then he he comes in with the uh, door jam that he had taken off in order to put the new floor down. He says, why don't you go ahead and wash this? So he hands it to me and I take it and I go put it in the sink and I had hot water running and I turn it over upside down. Guess what? <laughs> There's it was a there? In the crevice underneath the bottom of the door jam piece. Well, you have a lot of them, don't you? Um, well, I got at least one less. <laughs> went, down the, went down the sink with all. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, w- what do you do for Black Widows? We don't get I mean, Black Widows too much. I haven't seen Black oh, Widows here. We get every other kind of creepy, crawly thing in the world in Florida, but oh, okay. I haven't seen Black Widows a whole lot. Um, we, you know, we, the problem when we live in Pennsylvania, we, the problem we had was brown recluse spiders. Ooh, uh, and yeah, those bad yeah, we had too. a cat die from that, uh, a spider oh. bite. And the problem no. with that is it eats away everything before it, they die. Um, it's kind of a nasty, uh-huh. nasty bite. But, yeah. But yeah, so we don't have those too bad down here. We just have, you know, Good. fire ants are our biggest thing. Um, okay. And they are those. awful everywhere this yeah. year. Are they? Oh, the we have mounds bird? everywhere. Uh-huh. I mean, and they, everybody around here is complaining. I don't know if it wasn't a cold enough winter or what happened, but the fire ants are out in force. I got into a nest yesterday, so I have several bites. Um, yeah, so, yeah, and that's not fun. They itch for a week. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah, drill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what we use. Or I use, actually, stuff for poison ivy. Um, oh, you, you can okay. put that yeah, on that and it takes the itch away. Yeah. That makes sense. So. Yes. I've never had a black widow in the house that I knew of. And so um, th- it's a good thing we cleaned that half bathroom out. Because sometimes I'll have a guest use yeah, it. Well, <laughs> we do get and all kinds of bugs gonna, here. So I, yeah, I know. now they're going to listen to this and they'll never go in there again. <laughs> <laughs> we get the, the um, I forget what they're called. Um, they're spiders that are about the size of your palm. Uh, they're really big. And like a tarantula? You, yeah, they're not tarantulas, though, but they're fast. They're okay. really fast. Oh, and okay. We get those in the house on occasion. We haven't had one for a long time, but they're so fast, it's hard to get them. And those you do oh, get the spray out because you, can, you can't even smash them, but they're big. And so we, we always it? tell everybody, put up the toilet seat before you go to the bathroom when you come in our house. <laughs> <laughs> Look under. 
That's, that's like, like good advice. It's probably good advice no matter where you go. <laughs> so. No kidding. All Have right. you ever had a snake come in? Not yes, I, uh, a little one. One time when I was not oh, home, and Jennifer gosh. had to deal with it by herself, and that did not go well. So uh, yeah, I'll bet. Yes, no <laughs> snakes would freak me out. I've never had one in the house, but um, the spiders get me pretty good. I did. I wasn't happy because I'm thinking, oh, the darn thing's gonna ha- hatch a whole ton of babies. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, let's talk about Renegade Hoof Boots and get to our next guest. Okay, Renegade Hoof Boots are my favorite boots. I've been using them for many, many years. A lot of endurance riders and trail riders are using them now. They are made in the United States, and you can find them at um, renegadehoofboots.com. They've got several different colors, so you can match your tag. A couple of different styles that they can um you know, better fit to the shape of your hoof, uh, the Viper model or the regular classic Renegade. They both work really well. Just uh, one is more suited to a more rounder foot and the company is more than happy to help you um, figure out your sizing and your boot fit, make any adjustments that you might need. And uh, there, there are a lot of... Uh, uh, really simple to use, um, easy. I had juniors for years putting them on and off of my horses. And and that's the, the nice thing about them is that they are simple, easy to use. And uh, you can uh, just go to renegadehoofboots.com and learn more. Thank you very much, Karen. And you want to introduce our next guest? Yes, our next guest is Dr. Jim Baldwin. He was inducted into the AERC Hall of Fame for 2018 as the person. And he's also a ride veterinarian. He's been vetting and riding endurance rides since around 1990. He's got over 5,975 miles, including 10 one-day hundreds. And uh, I've enjoyed having him vet me at rides for many, many, many years at Tevis and at some other multi-days that I've attended in different states. Well, let's take a listen. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Baldwin, and congratulations on uh, receiving the AERC Hall of Fame Award. Well, it was a complete surprise to me, I will assure you. <laughs> that I could see that when you accepted, you were having a, a difficult time there getting the words out. So how did they get you to Reno to accept this award without you knowing? Well, we have a, a central region uh, mini convention, we call it. And they gave me a lifetime achievement award there. And I hadn't planned on going to Reno. And, uh, Somebody said, you got to go to Reno. I said, how come? I said, you know, I'm, I'm a has-been almost. And uh, he said, well, you need to go. I said, is there a reason I need to go? Well, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but they got a little bit of the award they want to give you. <laughs> and everybody was in on it but me. And, every, and a little bit of the award just means a little bit of plaque or something nobody will ever see. So anyway, I come home and the wife was aware of it. And she said, it's not for you. It's for the people that nominated you and put you up and vote for you and stuff like that. You've got to go out there for them. And my wife's pretty persuasive on something like that. So, and Steve Clark, a veterinary friend of mine, had offered to drive out with me. So they we went, and they kept it in the dark. I mean, I was expecting something 
Very minor, very minor, because I, I don't feel like I've done anything great or anything like that. It's been a sport a long time and really enjoy the sport. Uh-huh. And when they said it, when it finally came out what it was, it was a complete surprise, I'll guarantee you. Wow. So you drove out. And so is it true that you don't like to fly? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I enjoy driving more. I had my <laughs> own airplane for about 15 years, and, and flying doesn't bother me at all. I've worked all over the world and fly commercial and fly private. And flying I enjoy, but I like to drive. I never tire of driving across this wonderful nation. Oh, good. Okay. That's why you've been able to travel so much to vet rides. To me, it's almost like taking a vacation. Every week you go to work a ride. Oh, good. Right? I enjoy I enjoy what I do, and I enjoy the traveling, and I see so many things. See what changes from year to year. What uh, it, it, It's comical sometimes. Sometimes it's... Uh, a little boring, but I, I never find it boring. So how did you get involved in endurance riding? I went to a veterinary convention in Dallas, and a, high, uh, a veterinary classmate of mine had worked the Old Dominion the year before. And he said, I got somebody I want you to meet. He said, it was uh, the veterinary house, the veterinary for the Old Dominion. And um, so we visited Billy Bob's. Uh, honky tonk at night, and it sounded interesting to me. And this fellow was A.B. Brown, and Jeannie Waldron was the veterinarian. And I said, if A.B. works next year, I'd like to come back and just, just watch. This sounds interesting. Well, they didn't hire him back the next year. They hired me. And I said, I don't know anybody that aren't writing. said, the rule book's very thin. said, you can read it and absorb it. <laughs> and, and by the time you get there, so by the time I got out there, I pretty well knew what I was doing. I've worked around horses my entire life, you know, so that, that's not a problem. It's just uh, what you're supposed to be looking at and looking for. So that's what got me started with the old man. That was my first ride to work. <clears throat> I worked it either four or five years right off the bat. And, and that got me started working the rides. And then what got me started riding the rides, <clears throat> I pulled Maggie Price, who three-time president of the association. He, unfortunately, she had passed on now, but she said, you uh, <laughs> blankety-blank vets ought to have to ride these blankety-blank rides before you vet these blankety-blank rides. She was, I pulled her to a finish line of a 100-mile ride. I've always had horses. So I come home and, and pull a quarter horse I had up out of the pasture and started riding him all winter. He started by Bugs Alive in 75. He'd won three race, racetrack. Now, this horse would be in a half race. I rode him 50 miles early in March that next year, and there's no way he could have. We finished the ride in about uh, 10, 12 minutes to spare, uh-huh. but he couldn't have done 100 miles if his life depended on it. And here she's put the monkey on my back to, to go 100 miles. And uh, so that's kind of what one got me started vetting rides, and the other got me started riding rides. Okay. And it was just to, just to finish the older minute, so Maggie Price is. If she sets your mind to it, you can do it. And you, well, and you, that's got to, you did go on to finish uh, the Old Dominion, right? Yes, ma'am. The yes. Old Dominion was the second hundred I rode. It was was early the next year. There's a story with almost everything I go. I went back and uh, I knew I didn't have a horse and it was time to ride. And Matthew McKay Smith was a very influential person back here in 
both in the uh, Old Dominion and he read in the tablets many times. And he said he had a horse he could reach me to ride it cheaper and I could haul one back there. Because <laughs> I didn't have a horse. And that sounded like a good idea. So I went back there and I rode horses with Jeannie's horses and Matthew's horses and Lee Whittle's wife, uh, who happened to be Jeannie's sister's horses. I took a week, just had a wonderful vacation back there. Come the morning of the ride, we went out to get the horses to bed in. Now, keep in mind, it's a 100-mile ride. Neither horse got to start. They got in a kick fight the night before, and both of them were lame. Oh. And Maggie thought that Maggie thought that was extremely funny, so she went and bought a little rubber gorilla, which she called it a rubber monkey. Uh-huh. And she hung it on my shirt collar. She said, this is a monkey on your back to finish <laughs> the old dominion. But that monkey, uh, the next year I had bought a horse and uh, I got lucky and bought a nice horse. And somebody else's hands, he might have been a great horse. But to me, he's just a nice horse. And uh, come back and finish the old dominion way, way, way back. You know, I, uh, we just went to finish it. And uh, got through it all right. And the monkey could have died right then. But I decided to pass it on to somebody that has had trouble finishing the old dominion. Uh-huh. And this this is many, many years later that monkey still changes hands every year. It's on it's somebody's still, back. <laughs> so I I know that may be a boring story to some people, but to me it's it's personal, you know. It's uh, Sure. Sure you so, faced a challenge and went out and, and I got so, to, I, I've read yeah. it twice now. I, I t- told everybody I wrote it once to prove I could do it and take the time to prove it wasn't a fluke and that's enough. <laughs> I didn't want to go back. <laughs> But I've worked it seven, seven or eight times, something like that, all together. Okay, so tell us about <laughs> the horse you had that was named Goose. Okay, Goose is the horse I got lucky when I bought. This was a horse that was eight years old when I bought him, and it was a client of mine, but I didn't know that. See, the horse was at another client being ridden for a month, and it was for sale. And it wasn't expensive necessarily. They only wanted a thousand dollars for it. And uh, I liked the horse, but he was a little bit touchy. And uh, that's how you guys named Goose. But okay. Anyway, anyway, um, rode him three or four times and kept looking to other horses. And keep in mind, I'm I've, the monkey's on my back now. Essentially, saying I've got to come up with a horse that can do it. So I rode the horse two or three times and decided to buy him. And I called up to say I'd take him, and I got a hold of the lady that was riding his husband, and he said, they've gone to take the horse home. They only had it for 30 days. Well, she wouldn't tell me who owned it because she wanted a little commission on it. You know, it wouldn't have been a big one. She wanted a little commission. So better part of a month went by, and I kept calling that, and she wouldn't tell me. And finally, I found out uh, Joyce Anderson, who was a lady from Minoa, which is a small town about 30 miles south of here, on the horse. Well, I had it on Joyce also. So I went down and asked her to buy the horse. And she said, uh, yeah, she said, take him for a week and see, make sure you want him. Well, I normally that's not my procedure, but she said, if you want to take him for a week, so I thought, well, I'll try that. So I went down to get him, uh, and she changed her mind. She said, no, I'm not going to sell you this horse. I said, how come? He'll hurt you. What do you mean he'll hurt me? She said, I've had him now ever since he was a three year old. Every year I send him out to get him rid, and they say he rides good, and he comes home, and he bucks me off. And I save my money till the next year and have him ridden again. So this is about five years now. He's been ridden for about a month each year, and 
but he's, he's mean. He'll hurt you. And that just, when she said you can't have him, that makes you want him all the more. Uh-huh. So I just kept on passing, and she, but she wouldn't sell him to me. So I told my wife one day, I said, let's go for a drive. The lady lives on five acres down at the side of the pancake. You can see the whole pasture from the road. Let's just drive by there, and if we see the horse in the pasture, I'll get somebody else to go buy that horse, and then I'll buy it. You take it over from them. So we drove by there, and as we drove by, she was walking out to the mailbox. And you couldn't ignore her. And we got in a conversation. I said, do you still own this horse? And she said, yes, I don't know what to do with him. I said, well, tell him to me. I, I, I would like to have the horse. She said, well, I'm afraid he'll hurt you. She said, well, I, I just don't want to take the responsibility of getting here. I said, look, I'm 21. I, uh, if I get hurt, that's my, my business. So she said, would you give $800 for him? I'd already offered 1000 And the wife, Mal's, uh, Hey, the lady, you know, right then. So we pulled out a check. I paid her for the money. Went home, got a stock trailer to haul him home. And he got up in the trailer <laughs> and, and just stood in the front of it while I closed the gate and everything. We took him home. And I was I'm driving out. She's walking along beside the truck. Now, you be careful. He will hurt you. Well, you say it often enough. You wonder, what did I buy here? <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh-huh. So I get home and I take him out out in the, the what we call the woods, timber, whatever, you know, trees and mixed brush and stuff to get on him because the speed will hurt you. Mm-hmm. And see, that way he couldn't get up any speed if he would break and, and go to bucket. And I rode him. That was on a Wednesday and a Saturday. I put him in an endurance ride. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and, and uh, I want to know whether I bought an athlete or not. We didn't finish the ride. I didn't intend to. I just wanted to see how he'd handle around other horses and stuff like that. And I don't think the horse ever bucked a day in his life, but he would oh. run off with you. Well, he had a, a he really did. long, successful career. He did over 5,400 miles. Uh, when he got tired of running off, he made a nice horse. Oh, good. But it, 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 it got to be fun because as he would break to run, it would make any difference what gait he was in. If he was walking, trotting, loping, which you all would call cantering, his hind end, as he gathered himself to pull hind legs up and under him to break into a run, uh-huh. his hind end was up about six inches. And you could feel it the moment that he's getting ready to run. And and then after you knew what to expect, it got to be fun. I just didn't let him stop, but we just kept running. He finally, after about a thousand miles, he quit that stuff. <laughs> after that, he was a great, great horse, and the family rode him, everybody else did. Good. Well, and that's, that, that's the story of Goose. Okay. Well, let's get back to talking about Tevis. When did you start vetting at Tevis? Okay. I rode to Tevis in 95, and I'm pretty sure that next year I vetted at Tevis. Okay. I'd met, people, I'd met the people, a lot of the veterinarians I knew up front, and I got started vetting it, and, and uh, vetted, I think, 17, maybe 18 times. Okay. Years. And... and Yes, I know you've been there almost every year. I've been there riding or volunteering. And I know in 95, I I was crewing. And uh, I looked it up. You finished 128th out of 196 that year. Well, I I was way at the back of the pack, I'll guarantee you. (laughs) Just about didn't make it. But but I made it. And Uh I was pushing time hard. I tell you that California Loop, terrified me i Did lost uh-huh. about 30 minutes cushion time that i had on a california loop 
height scared me, and in the dark, it really scared me. And I slowed down to a, a, a walk, literally, mm-hmm. and we lost a lot of time. And it was questionable whether I was going to make it. And uh, Dr. Edwards was betting it to the uh, Lord Quarry. And he said, this horse looks great. He said, can you make it in in time? I said, give me a try. And there was another lady there that I had met on the trail and never have seen her before or after. And we rode together. And we set out from that with a, like with somebody lit a fire under us. Uh-huh. And we finished last next to last, you know, oh, but we got uh-huh. through it. Good. <laughs> and then I came back in 98 and tried it on a different horse and got my shelf beat. It's, uh, it was 1230 at night. We were at uh, Francisco's. And as you come off at California Loop, the way I controlled my fear of that loop was I got behind a gray horse. And I just gave the horse I was riding his head and just uh-huh. looked at the gray rump of that horse. Never looked up, never looked down, never looked right, never looked left. I just sat there like a log and held on. Uh-huh. He, he followed the, he followed the horse down off that loop. But as we were coming off of it, there's a barricade right across the parking lot from the, the vet check. And most of them just have a rock stuck out there and you just drive between the rock and the barricade and, and that keeps the barricade functional. This place, the river's right here, so the barricade goes off. There's room to ride a horse around between it and it'll drop off to the river. But the rocks are set up on each side of the barricade before you can get through it. But you've got to go turn left real short, turn right real short, turn right real short again to get around that barricade. Well, I was riding third in a group of five horses. The horse that was in front didn't want to make the turns to go through there. And I subconsciously, I thought, I wouldn't have a horse that wouldn't handle better than that. But I've been, like I say, I've been around horses all my life, and I kind of pride myself on on having a horse that's at least rideable. Mm-hmm. And when the next horse did the same thing, it just, I got distance-induced mental retardation, I guess, and it just set it in my uh-huh. mind. And, and when my horse did, I reached up and cuffed him between the ears. And when I did that, he about half reared up, came down on a second rock, and laid his leg open. It wasn't serious, but it was serious enough to stop him. Oh. So at 12.30 at night, 14 miles to go, I blew it. So I only oh. got one buckle. But uh, I, <laughs> oh. I think I had a horse that lady. I should have had it too, but for my own stupidity. Yeah, well, you know, we all learn from making our mistakes as we go. Well... That was a big one, you know. Yeah. So finishing the Tevitus, the more you're around the Tevitus, the more you realize part of the myth, part of it's real. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a very difficult ride. I've ridden what I think, I think the Old Dominion is a tougher ride. I truly do because it's in the summertime. The temperature is so much hotter throughout the entire day. You've still got the same climb almost, except it's straight up to the top of the ridge and then uh-huh. straight down so you get down the other side, whereas the Tevis is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh-huh. Uh, I think you I think you you go down twenty nine thousand feet and climb twenty six thousand or something like that. Well that's the up and down. So there's no, there's nothing easy about the Tevis. 
But uh, actually, there's nothing easy about a 100-mile ride. You're an easier 100-mile ride. Right. Easy 100-mile ride. There you go. Exactly. So what? Yeah. tell us, what have you seen change in the sport since you started riding and vetting that, that you think has improved uh, the safety and made it safer for the horses? I think more people are vetting a little bit more uh, I'm groping for a word, but where they, they vet by the book, so to speak, they don't leave out the real things. When, when you go through a horse and you vet a lot of riders, you get a routine down and everything on that, that program that you're looking at, that paperwork, the rider card, mm-hmm. it's ingrained in your memory and you don't miss something. It doesn't take you long to look at it, but it's there. And before, I think we had a lot of people that didn't work a lot of rides, didn't go to a lot of rides. They were good horsemen. I'm not trying to criticize somebody, but they'd skip over things. And and, uh, I I think just being a little bit more diligent in what you're doing is probably the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. As far as as treatment is concerned, treatment is a lot better now than it used to be. You used to, if you got a horse in trouble, you just kind of had a horse in trouble. That was it. But nowadays, AERC puts the treatment uh, techniques and drugs and stuff in the back of the, one of the manuals that they give out, your little handbooks, and that took the proper way to treat a horse in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it had everything tying up the metabolic parameters and stuff like that. I think that was a big improvement because it, if you had to send a horse to a veterinarian off-site, you could send a book with him. And he could look at it and say, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think horses then started to get a more uh, even way of being treated. I think that would probably be the biggest thing. We've still got a very safe sport compared to other sports. So but which, anyway, that's... Which type ahead, of I'm rides sorry. are your favorite? Like as a rider or as a vet, which do you like, say, maybe 100 versus a multi-day well, keep in mind, we don't have any multi-day cars in this part of the country. But uh, by virtue of the way I've worked all over the world, mm-hmm. I, I've worked my share of 100-mile rides, and I don't see that much difference in them other than the fact you've got to take into consideration it would be better riding to get through the whole ride. It's a lot longer day than 100 miles. Uh-huh. People don't like them as workers because it's hard to keep volunteers there for 24 hours. It's harder to keep everybody alert for 24 hours. But 100-mile riders are slowly but surely dying out. It just takes so much time and so much effort to condition mm-hmm. a horse to go that that a lot of people just don't have the time. And... and uh, I think that's probably the biggest reason that 25 uh, limited distance rides, that's 25 to 35 miles, are becoming so popular because people don't just don't have the time. I, I think if they had the time, you'd see more 50 and 100 mile riders. Uh-huh. But the 50, the 50 is the, the base ride for endurance riding. And when I say 50, that includes 50, 55, and 60 along in that range somewhere. Sure. Uh-huh. No, I remember. 100 miles. I- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're asking a question. Well, I was going to just mention we rode together on the Pony Express ride in 2001. 
And I was just going to ask you if you had any uh, memories of that ride that stand out. I tell you, keep in mind, I'm not used to doing multi-day rides. And here I'm hooked up now with two horses to ride all the way across the western part of the country. Uh-huh. And I didn't, I didn't ride fast. I didn't ride fast at all. And what surprised me was the lameness problems that I saw in my own horses. And I rode one horse, the horse I took in the Tevis that I did not get a completion on. And I was riding with uh, a lady from Missouri. And I said, do you see anything wrong with this horse? She said, no, he looks fine. He just don't feel right. And three days went by. And he came up lame. I could feel it coming on, but I couldn't find it. Couldn't see anything. And and so multi-day rides, I think, are beneficial. It teaches you a lot more about horsemanship mm-hmm. than going out there and just riding one ride. Everything you do has its own aches and pains and its own good things and bad things. Uh-huh. And, and uh, but where you get most of the country doesn't have five-day rides. And, and so it's, the West kind of dominates. So there's, there's one in, in uh, Maine. Uh-huh. Pine tree ride is five day ride. I think I worked it a few years ago. And, and, uh, it's just a different kind of ride. And I rode that ride. I, I didn't ride fast and, and I only rode 29 days of it. Uh, I have lameness problems. I worked my way through them and, and other people had a lameness problem. Uh-huh. One weekend I went back to Oklahoma when we weren't too far out, got another one of my horses for somebody else to ride this horse that had gone lame. And that surprised me because we weren't pushing those horses hard, mm-hmm. and yet we were having weight problems. And and that uh, to this day, it kind of bum fuzzles me just a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, you are much, much, much more familiar with with multi day rides than I am, and probably you ought to be the one answering these questions. <laughs> well, no, I just wanted to know if you had any, you know, special memories from traveling across country or, uh, y- y- you know, just in general with uh, what you, you know, what you came away with from doing something like that. Well, I, I said if I'd ever do, would do it again, I'd pick my most inexperienced horses and I'd ride them in the shape. It's going slow. Uh-huh. By the time you got that 2,000 miles that we potentially could have ridden, uh-huh. you got a horse that falls well, eats well, drinks well, and handles well. Uh-huh. You, you, you have a tremendous amount of training in a horse by the time you get that distance across there. Exactly. Of, but, you know, that was 2,000 miles. The average person won't put what, 400 miles a year, maybe on a horse. Uh-huh. But by the time you got across that country, if you started with, with I'm going to use the word younger to mean inexperienced, but if you started with your, your younger, less experienced horses, by the time you got to the end, end point, to the finish line, you got a broke horse. Definitely. That's what I, <laughs> that, that's what I was, that's what I was different. Yes, they're used to trains, they're used to you know, riding along highways, they've seen everything. I mean, everything from farm equipment to look uh-huh. like a spider out there that they use to spray corn with, and and some of the funniest looking things come along, and semis blowing their horns, and and ride along the irrigation ditches, and we 
we saw everything. You've got to admit that. And, and I met some wonderful people I, to this day I consider a good acquaintance. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you remember the um, outside of Austin, there was a, a nudist colony? <laughs> now, now, you told me to keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, by the time we got to Austin... I had promised two horses to ride in the Tevis. I was going to ride them fit, for I knew they would get riding. It was just people from Spain, Duma Puente. And, and uh, so by the time I got there, I was just about through riding. But we needed some hay. We'd run out of hay. So we asked around the town and found a rancher out there that had some hay. So we drove out to pick it up. And we were coming back to the big uh, alkali flat. And it was huge. And uh-huh. the vet check that day was out in the middle of it somewhere, and we thought we saw it out there. Well, it wasn't a horse trailer in a bunch, or a ca- the camper like we used. So we turned in across the alkali flat, Jane Huff and myself, and we get out there, and this guy's standing behind the door of his pickup, and it, it just looked like he had on running shorts or something like that with him <laughs> behind the door of the pickup. And we asked him whether he laughed. He said, no, no, he said, this isn't anything. It's just a nudist colony. Whoops, <laughs> 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 we're in the wrong spot. <laughs> and so, anyway, he invited us to stay for lunch, but we declined and, and left. And, and uh, but that's be probably the only time in my life I'll ever <laughs> be involved with the news probably. The things but you it, find it, it, it makes a good story. <laughs> it does. Uh, most people don't encounter that on the average endurance ride. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. So uh, okay. So do you have I've any? Read- tips for people that are starting out in the sport? Yeah, I think I do. Don't be afraid to ask your horse to work. I think we take way too much time to get a horse ready to do a 50. You know, they want to do 25 for a year and build themselves up and stuff like that. When you buy a horse, you either got an athlete or you don't have an athlete. Mm-hmm. And an athlete, and I, I'm talking about horses now, but an athlete can work almost from day one. Just don't push him. Give him time to adjust while you, you're riding. You can ride him into shape at an endurance ride. It doesn't have to be at home or short rides. Just don't be afraid not to finish the ride. Go uh-huh. for the fun of it. That's what it's all about. If you feel like your horse isn't up to it that day, then quit. If uh-huh. you quit at 20 miles, 25 miles, 30 miles, 35, then so be it. I had ridden 3,000 miles before I ever rode a limited distance ride. So that, so I'm biased in that respect. Uh-huh. And we had another one of these mini conventions we have back here. They had a panel of, of people. They were talking about how long it takes to get a horse ready for a 50-mile ride. And Dane Frazier, who's a veterinarian from Lebanon, and I were standing in the back of the room. It was a big room. And they saw us back here, and they were on a speaker system, and they asked me, how long does it take you to get a horse ready to go? I said, if I buy him on Wednesday, I'll put him in a ride on Saturday. <laughs> Completely contrary to anything they had been talking about. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm a little bit of a renegade and things that way, but I believe it, and I'm not afraid to voice it, you know, when it comes to that. Just be careful what you do. Right, right. If you... Don't override your horse, and, and if you do it that way, you're training yourself as well as your horse. Mm-hmm. Because most people are not going to want to hurt their horse, but so many times when we have to pull a horse for metabolic reasons, 
I've heard that phrase, oh, I wouldn't hurt my horse. And, and subconsciously, I think, no, you won't hurt him, but you'll take him back out there and kill him. So there's a learning process with the rider as well as the horse. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and riding him at home 25 miles is not a learning process. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And congratulations again on the Hall of Fame award. And uh, I'll look forward to hopefully seeing you. Hopefully I can have you vet me again at a ride someday. Well, there you go. Now he's quite a character. (laughs) Yes, he is. He's always fun to catch up with when I see him at Tevis every year. (laughs) So um, we're going to wrap up the show here today. But do you have some announcements about some events coming up? We do. We have several upcoming endurance clinics uh, starting April 27th and 28th and going through May. We have there are clinics available for those that are interested in learning more about the sport of endurance riding. Uh, There's one in Oregon, Virginia, Minnesota, Ohio, California and Texas. So if you're interested in that, go to the AERC.org website and you can look up on the left-hand column. They have a link for endurance clinics and you can find one hopefully near you and go learn more about the sport. You can also go to AERC.org and look up upcoming endurance rides that might be in your region. And we have something coming up next February for all of you endurance riders who can't ride in the winter. Take a listen. The Second Horse Lovers Cruise is set for February 3rd, 2020. Most of you are just thawing out from a miserable winter. Think about next year taking a break from all of that in February and joining us on a warm cruise with fellow horse lovers and listeners of the Horse Radio Network. All of the details can be found at horseloverscruise.com. We'd love to have you along on the cruise. We have 20 cabins booked and uh, more coming in. So we'd love to have everybody join us on the cruise. It was a lot of fun the first time. And I'm sure it'll be a great time next year in February when you don't have to put up with the snow. You can go to the tropics (laughs) with us. Well, and tomorrow, Jamie will be back. Thursday is Mary Kitzmiller. And then Friday is more really bad ads. So join us then. Karen, where can they find your blog and everything about you? My blog is karenchatton.com. KarenChatton.com. That's it for today. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you joining us on this Endurance Day. All the past Endurance Days can be found by going to HorsesInTheMorning.com. Scrolling down to the middle of the page, you'll see a whole bunch of little banners for our monthly episodes. Click on Endurance, and it'll bring up all, like, 100 of them that we've done in the past. I'm not kidding. It's probably been about 100. So I know. You can, you can go back and listen to all of them. They're all very timely, and I am sure that you will enjoy them. Thanks again, Karen. See you again next month. Thank you, everybody. Wear your helmets and be safe out there. 